As you read, as you heard Brian read, the title is, of our message is going to be To Abide. To abide. Um, mainly we'll be focusing on these two small words, and, and we will hopefully learn just how key they are to our life and how they may just be the key words to changing how we live. This topic came to me this morning as a result of the recent events, February 8th through the 23rd at Asbury University. Um, does anyone, has anyone heard that? Does anyone know about it? How about hands, if there are hands? Okay, so a good number of you have heard about this, but uh, for those of you who haven't, um, it has been called a revival, a spiritual outpouring, and an awakening. But whatever name we give this event, the worship and prayer did not stop for over two weeks. Um, we must conclude that the Holy Spirit was moving and doing a lot of work in those students, and that one of my questions was, how did that start? Well, it started regularly with a normally scheduled morning chapel service. Um, Asbury is a Christian college, and the students go to chapel on Wednesday morning. I don't know if it was mandatory or not, but that really doesn't matter. There was a message preached. I read that the message was not badly preached, nor was it an extraordinary message. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. But at the end of the service, when it was time to close, the person up front told them to linger if they wanted to. Not sure if that's standard practice. Again, that doesn't really change the fact. But there was a small group of, who stayed. Uh, what I read said a handful. Um, as they stayed, there was open confession among, among this group of sin. One person who was there in that small group said that the atmosphere changed after that moment. The Asbury president, who happened to be walking by, I imagine, heard that there was still music going on in the sanctuary, and so he sent out a two-sentence email to all the students. The email said, there's worship happening at Hughes, which is the name of their chapel. And the second sentence was, you are welcome to join. And that was all that was posted or said. And the rest is history. They estimate 50 to 70,000 visitors came to Asbury in the next 16 days. We will see now what changes have taken place and how the Spirit's work will bring glory to God through this. So what was that moment that changed this ordinary Wednesday morning? They lingered. They stayed and they worshipped. They were not rushing off somewhere. A handful of students who desired to continue in worship and then prayed. They were together, present in the same place, doing the same thing. God moved in their midst. One was convicted of sin and confessed. These are real, honest actions, not done for self-image or reputation. Actions like these do not feed our own idols, our own sins. There was not this I am fine mentality. There was honesty before God, and that is what we are all called to be. Honest and true, loving God above all and loving others. Being open and guided by the Holy Spirit, these students were abiding in Jesus. This morning's scripture talks about that relationship and the actions we are to have. In the first 10 verses, the word abide occurs 10 times. I'm sure you heard it as Brian was reading it a few minutes ago. 
Verse 4 alone has abide three times. So I thought, let's start this message with a little research, a little background on the word. So with the internet's help, thank you, internet, um, I did my best to find the original Greek word used and determine if these ten occurrences of abide or abides were alike, and if possibly they had different meanings, and my research showed me that no. Nope. Abide is abide. It's all the same. I really didn't think the ESV translation would lead me astray, but I thought I'd better look. I knew that this morning's message was going to focus on that word, and I did want to make sure it was correct. Abide in Greek is minate. And if anyone knows Greek and I've done that wrong, sorry, but minate is how it's pronounced, and that's what I found. It's described as a plural imperative of the verb mino, meaning to abide, to remain habitually or to stay somewhere. It speaks of stability, and it speaks of persistence to stay. And now with this in mind, let's go to our verses. John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This is the seventh time... Jesus makes the statement, I am, in John's gospel. The first six are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then this morning's statement, I am the true vine. As he is describing for us, intangible, excuse me, Describing for us in tangible, seeing, touchable, relatable terms what it is to be a Christian. In this teaching, we are the branches, he is the vine, and his father is the vine dresser. Jesus, as the root, supplies us with all that we need. He is where our life originates. No one ever imagines a branch just growing out bare on its own. It can't do that. I was going to grab one this morning, but I forgot. Imagine a stick. It's just a stick. There's no roots. There's no leaves. It can't do anything. It's just a stick. So that is how we are before we come to Jesus. And when we gather firewood or trim a tree, we cut off a branch, and that branch dies. What could be alive is now dead. But give that branch to an arborist, and it can be grafted onto another tree with roots. It will live. But the arborist the vine dresser, also knows that if a branch is left to grow untended, it will put most of its energy into length and leaf, and this does not produce much fruit. Take that branch and prune it. Only allow it to grow as far as it is needed for fruit, and then the energy is directed into the fruit. And besides abundance of fruit, there are many reasons to prune the vine. Another is for the health of others. Pruning keeps one branch from overgrowing the others. It allows each branch to get the sunlight it's needed and for all to flourish. Then there's the long spindly branch, the one that does produce some fruit, but only to break under its own weight as it was not able to hold up when a storm blew through. 
Had it been pruned back, it would have been closer to the vine. It would have had put strength into its construction. And as branches, we are to produce fruit, and we should be expected to be pruned. To have some of our worldly desires removed from us is painful at times, but it is required. We should all be aware that if we are left alone for too long, we will become an overgrown mess. We need God's intervention to be, help, to be helpful, to be fruitful. We need his help. This imagery obviously could go on for the rest of our time, but today's message is not primarily focused on pruning, but abiding. John 15, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This verse just kind of jumps out of context. He's talking about pruning. And it only seems out of context until we think about it a bit. This verse is really placed very well, as we should expect that with the inspired word of God, it would be properly written and properly placed. Just in case you were listening and beginning to think that this pruning was removal of sin and that it was by this action that God was bringing us into salvation and making us clean, then this verse stops this misguided thought. Salvation's work was done by his speaking the word to us, exactly what Jesus is telling his listeners. You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you, the gospel. By your believing and trusting Jesus for salvation, we are grafted onto the vine in that moment when we accept Jesus. Then we are branches, and after that, and only after that begins the pruning that he is talking about. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. The first time we have this term, abide today. I looked up the Greek minute and I found it used in Matthew and Mark's Gospels and other passages as well. There's an NAS translation used, and in that translation it says, in it, and it is translated as stay. It is also tra translated as remain. But possibly the King James Version may give it the most descriptive. It says, tarry ye here. Tarry ye. That's a phrase we don't hear, but it does give us that impression to stay, to tarry, to linger. That is abiding. And they all put this Greek word into English in different words, but the ESV uses the word abide. Jesus gives us rock-solid truth here in these first seven words. Abide in me, and I in you. Jesus abides in us. He stays. He remains. Our Savior does not leave us. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Not really any discussion here. Jesus makes it plain right from the start of his teaching. We need to stay connected, remain, to tarry, in and with Jesus. Verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. 
Jesus again relates this analogy with very clear statements, if we abide. If we remain actively and steadfastly with Christ, we will bear much fruit. Apart from Jesus, we do nothing. Now that does not mean that an unbeliever can do nothing. Of course they do. Every day, everyone can do and does do something. They do things of this world. And ultimately, this world is going to be remade. And those activities, they will be gone and only spiritual things remain. Eternal fruit in God's kingdom will remain and have value. Verse 6 then speaks of the branches without a root. They wither, they are thrown away. These branches did not abide with Christ, and their ultimate destination is fire. This image of fire, commonly used as a symbol of divine judgment in both the Old Testament and the New, this is the ultimate end for those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior. One branch flourishing with fruit, and the others thrown into the fire, reduced to ashes, about as different as two branches could possibly be. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This promise, again, could make up the rest of today's message. But we are here today and we are abiding. Let's give some, some moments to this message of promise and then we'll move on. The promise has two requirements. We are to abide in Christ and have his word abide in us. When we do these two things, we are to ask whatever we wish, and it will be done. That's a pretty bold promise, I would say so. How can Jesus make this statement concerning prayer, that ask whatever we wish, and it will be done? But only if we remember the two conditions, the conditions of our heart and our minds, that we must abide with Jesus. When we abide with Jesus, and we have him in our heart, we are in union with him. Our desires become his desires. Abiding in his word, we will pray the way he has taught us to. And when we pray as Jesus did, and according to Jesus' wishes, God is glorified, and God will be granting a prayer that he himself desires. We need now to bring in the next four verses, and let's finish this treatment on abiding. Verses 8 through 11. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, Jesus states that we are to bear much fruit. And in that action, we prove to be his disciples. We should be, really be completely assured we should be rock solid. Our belief and our, and our knowledge now should be that if we are abiding with Jesus, fruit bearing is in our future. I cannot think of a single English word that would describe this properly. So struggling to get this point, Lack of a better English command, I guess. I'm going to use the word rain. If a Christian is rain, then bearing fruit is wet. If it's raining, something's going to get wet. 
right? These things are not found with each other, without each other in general terms, and don't start thinking about it too hard and giving me the flaws of my analogy. But let's just let it be. Let's imagine it's July and you're outside. If it's raining, you're wet. There's no other option. The Christian is rain. Something gets wet, there is fruit. Rain equals wet, Christian equals fruit. The next time it rains, be reminded, you're a Christian, there is fruit. After this statement, in the next breath, Jesus declares that as the Father loved him, he loved us, and we should abide in his love. Wow, what a thing. God's love for the Son, holy and perfect love for the Son, is the way that Jesus loves us. Of course, how could it be any other way? Can Jesus love imperfectly? No way, it's not in his nature. He is God's Son. Just because we are flawed and sinful, that does not mean that the love that Jesus has for us is less than perfect. Amen? Amen. Then he tells us how to abide in his love, to keep his commandments. And the example he gives us is himself. His words are, Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. This is how we are to live. Then to bring it together, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The rest of all, the result of all this abiding is joy. Amen? Just in case you didn't know, and so you can exclaim amen with confidence. Amen's definition is so be it, or truly, or to be trusted. So how do we feel about the fact that Jesus tell me, tells me that he told me these things so that his joy may be in me and that my joy may be full? Amen. I was going to go on with verses 12 through 17, which is what I had Brian read this morning, but I think that's going to be a bit much. So let's make sure we've got this abiding clear in our minds. Jesus said in these verses, and I'm going to give you the ten abides. Abide in me and you, and I in you. Abide in the vine. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. My words abide in you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. And then Jesus, speaking of himself, he says, that just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These are our instructions. They are actions. Don't forget our definition, abide is a verb. It is an action, not a belief. When you read scripture verses like this and hear a message like the one I am preaching, this morning, do you possibly hear believe? Yes, I know, you don't really hear believe. But as you understand these words... Does your mind channel them? Does it store them? Do you possibly do to your upbringing, your family, your culture, former church experiences or influences from other people, or even your own sinful desires, do these things stop you from really grasping the truth of this scripture? Do you truly and wholeheartedly know 
and believe this morning, right now, right here, that these abides are actions. Four times in a row, Jesus said, abide in me. And to whom was he speaking? Christians, disciples, those whom he had called. He was speaking to us. Belief was not the issue he was addressing. They believed in who he said he was. Jesus said so himself. He said that in verse 3, that they were clean. They had heard the word and they had accepted it. They trusted him for the forgiveness of their sins. No, this teaching was to make sure that they were aware that the life of a Christian is of action and of fruit bearing. And just as strongly emphasized is the source of the fruit and the motivation for the action. Neither comes from within the branch. We cannot do it without Christ. That is how we are to abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me, said Jesus. How did Jesus example this? We see him serving at all times, being the least, and loving those around him, giving of himself to heal and cast out demons, preaching his gospel, not in great outdoor theaters, as they did have those, but on hillsides, small villages, and from even a boat. These did not gain him wealth and stature. He was exalting the Father, bringing glory to God's name. He was serving his Father, following the chosen path that his Father had planned for his Son. And what did Jesus do when he was about to confront a large challenge or a stressful moment? What was his action? He went to prayer. He drew even nearer to the Father. He physically practiced abiding in the Father's love. Prayer focuses our attention on God and his wishes for our lives. It gets our desires out of the driver's seat, or it should be doing that. Our prayers can express our love for Christ and be a way to seek his guidance. As we draw near to him, the joy of knowing him becomes real. It becomes tangible. His spirit fills our hearts as we evict our own selfish desires, and we are compelled to worship. Not forced, but willingly and eagerly giving God the honor and glory he deserves. Abiding in Jesus is also spending time in the word. The Bible is God's written word to us so that we may know him and his love for us. By learning scripture, we can determine correct actions. We can determine the way to get through life's problems. We can learn the heart of God. We can get to know his ways. We are then more aware of the love that he has for us and to us. To abide in Jesus' love, we really do need to know what that is. That is where the Bible and good teachers come in. Good teachers of Scripture do not shy away from challenging truths. They teach the whole truth of God's word. The whole truth convicts us of our sin. And as we wrestle with our sinfulness, we come to realize just how high a price Jesus paid for us. How unworthy we are of Jesus, but yet how blessed we are that in his great love for us, God was willing to pour out his wrath on Jesus. And in doing so, redeem us. That kind of love, that immeasurable love demands that we willingly submit our lives to him who saved us. It is humbling beyond words. And the only result I can muster is worship of our Almighty God. Abide in Jesus. Abide in his love. Find strength 
and your motivation in him and know that he is truth and love. These things do not happen instantly and without effort. If we only spend Sunday morning with God, then we are not abiding. Unfortunately, we are most likely abiding with one or two or more of our idols. We are not following Jesus' instructions. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he said, You shall love the Lord with your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you find yourself struggling with these words of Jesus, if your fruit is meager or the term abiding seems foreign to you, know that it does not have to be that way. It is not supposed to be that way. Seek repentance and forgiveness. Possibly you do not know Christ and need his saving work in your life. That is why we're here. That is why the elders and Duncan and others who know Christ, we stand here Sunday mornings and we ask for you to come forward and receive prayer. This is how the Holy Spirit works. This is how I received Christ. Conviction came as I heard the word preached. And I accepted the gospel as truth. This abiding in Christ is what I believe happened with the students who stayed in the chapel that morning. They were open to the Spirit's leading. God had a plan for them. It included confession of sin. And as we know after confession, confession there is forgiveness and re- restoration. There is worship and there is abiding in God's love. I'm certain that the students did not know God's plan that morning. They were just there, and they were obeying the Holy Spirit's promptings to linger and to worship. Lord, I thank you for this message this morning. And Lord, I thank you that you teach us to abide. And Lord, I ask that you would please guide my prayer now as we close. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you, you are the, the vine and we are the branches and that we do everything only through your power. It is not some extraordinary energy that we muster up on our own to do your work. Lord, you work through us, through our sinful nature and through our frail bodies and our, our weaknesses. But as we abide in you, as we draw our strength from you, as we glorify you in everything that we do, we know you are honored. Lord, thank you for this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. So we abide by praying and by being in the word, and fruit of our abiding is seen in things like revival and awakening. One of the ways that Jesus said that we abide is by remembering the central truth of the gospel, which of course is